Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. I just don't really care for it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. I mean, I, I value it because I typically most of the live shows that I've done have been with people that I have a rapport with, like yourself. Um, and I'm also experimenting with it for job seekers. I've had Tabitha on, Brian Golod nice. on, and we're using that for as a platform to help job seekers to bring them into the show live. So let's kick this thing off. Dope, Everybody, man. it is the seventh. 15th day of March in the year 2020. I'm with my man, Mark Metry. And it is crazy times we're living in. And the one thing that I will say, because I'd like to get Mark's perspective as a local Bostonian here, the St. Patrick's Day parade is canceled for the first time in, you know, 200 plus years. Is that a silver lining in your opinion or not? Is it time to take a break and keep the streets of Boston clean? <laughs> Dude, everything's been canceled, bro. And, um, and so quite frankly, I don't know. From my understanding, this is essentially like just like another version of like a blizzard of like a winter right. where we're sort of going to be in the season. And so I don't know. I mean, literally everything in my life has been and and a lot of other everyone else basically been canceled. All events, all like major projects, everything. really every, everything. everything, everything. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of looking back here like um, like I've just been so much gearing up for March for like the last six months with my TEDx talk, book, events, everything got canceled. And so I'm super grateful that one, my book launch is still doing great, but I'm also just kind of sitting back and I'm like, wait, what the hell am I supposed to do now? <laughs> Trying yeah. to figure out my and, and, it, <laughs> and it's so much uncertainty too. And, and I was going to talk to you off air about this, but we might as well talk about it live because it's so relevant to what your book is and we'll get to in a little bit. Like for me, I I get crazy over the little things in life. I, I over the minutia, over the little things like, someone not loading my dishwasher the right way, right? Like I was a Tetris fan, right? So if you don't get that dishwasher <laughs> set up, like the efficiency perspective, but but things like this, which are a global pandemic where pretty much everything in life is getting canceled. I have this like strange state of calmness because I understand that there's nothing I could do about it, right? This stuff is happening. It's out of my control. And the only thing I can't control is things, you know, that are close to me, my family. And more importantly, how I react, right? How I react to situations in life, um, things that affect me and my family. Um, and that's not easy for a lot of people, right? No, man, not at all. And, um, and you know, I definitely, I share that too. And it's kind of weird because um, like last, last, last Thursday, um, three, three days before my book launch, and as things just like start shutting down left and right, and like, I remember Thursday, everything was shut down. Like all my plans were shut down. And I kind of had like this really strange sense of um, calmness and quite frankly, happiness that I haven't felt in a while. And mm. I think a big part of that is because like, when you start off from the bottom and then you become successful, that's awesome. But once you're successful, your mind is just in a different way. And so the fact that I've kind of feel like I've lost everything professionally speaking at least you know i'm thank god that i'm healthy nobody pause, I know, yeah nobody i know is uh is sick or anything so there aren't any real problems but what it did is it reset me to zero and now i'm super excited because that that is my ideal way to live because i kind of felt like i 
always struggled my entire life, but now I'm not. So it's brought me back to that struggle. And that puts my mind in such a happy perspective. It's kind of hard to explain. It's interesting too. And let's talk about that for a minute too. I went into 2020 uh, on a high man, like business is good. Family's good. Everything's going the right direction. I had, I was supposed to be literally probably in about three hours from now flying back from Austin, Texas from South by Southwest, an event I go to pretty much every year where, Mark, I do the majority of my business, my networking, all in a four-day period. The entire tech and interactive industry, which are my clients, my candidates, everyone everyone is there, right? Like everyone is in, everyone is in the same place. And I look to that for my next year, two years ahead. I mean, the client I have right now was founded two years ago at South by. So that hit me hard when I had to cancel that a week and a half ago. I was like, all right, you know, South by's cancel, I'll deal with that. But then everything else started to kind of domino effect. I mean, we saw it literally since last Wednesday, Thursday with, you know, the sports teams and everything and, and reality kind of hit. Yeah. And that's hard for me, man. How, like, you know, all the momentum I put into it, right? All that momentum, it paused. So, like, let's talk about, like, how that affects people's, like, insides, right? With anxiety and stress and everything. Because now more than ever, people need to chill. People, people really need to chill. Yeah, for sure, man. And I think... I mean, it's interesting. I think when something bad happens, I think there are two kinds of responses. You could either uh, jump in that pain head first and you could be like, okay, all my, all my stuff is canceled from South by Southwest. Everything else is canceled. What the hell am I going to do? How am I going to get clients? And you can dive into that. And if you're engaging in that process, you could maybe find clarity. You could actually, you know, if you hunker mm-hmm. down, it's going to be a struggle for sure, but you could eventually find a plan. And then I think there's another group of people, and I don't, I don't necessarily think this relates to just the coronavirus. I just think it's a general pattern of life. General. There's another group of people who kind of face like that big glaring problem, but they try to run away from it. They try to turn around and pretend it's not even happening. And in turn, what happens is that keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they exactly. begin to feel pain. So they try to escape that with pleasure. And they try to... Um, subdue themselves with whatever temporary moments of pleasure, but they're not actually engaging in that pain to get that lifelong or at least longer sense of fulfillment aside from like this very cheap, shallow version of happiness that we're all sold to on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's an instant satisfaction. Are you worried and concerned that this potentially catastrophic apocalyptic event is really going to exasperate and trigger so many people's deep inside uh, psychological and mental issues? Oh, 100%. I think it's very clear when you see it. I think if you just go on Twitter and you see like people who are well-known and how they're tweeting about the coronavirus, I think that's very clear. Um, but uh, but ultimately, I think it's this. At any time of chaos and any time of crisis, it's almost sort of a reminder for each one of us because we begin to think like, oh, crap, Like, what's the actual point of life? Like, If I'm not hanging out and cherishing with my loved ones and family, what am I actually doing this for? And so in a, in a way, Absolutely. I think it can be really good. Like I saw this tweet the other day and it was this janitor at a nursing home. And she was, she dropped so many F-bombs in this tweet because she was so on fire. And she was like, yo, right. I'm going to make sure every damn spot of this nursing home is clean because I don't want any of my friends to die at this thing. And I'm like on fire. And yeah, so they're think- the most susceptible. Yeah. And I think for some ways it can trigger people in a good way to actually be like, okay, what is the point of life? What do I value the most? How can I move towards that? Um, And then I think the rest time will tell. Uh, I, you know, I think, I hope I'm not a scientist, but I hope that 
at a health level. I hope it doesn't get too worse, which it probably will. At least in yeah, America. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, at least in America. Um, but I, I think the economic, um, you know, repercussions because of this. Who knows? Again, I, I feel like we'll probably bounce back after a couple of years. But I don't know. I don't yeah, know how long it'll last. So we, we are a resilient people. I mean, Americans bounce back. I mean, that's you know the two hundred plus year history of of what we do here. But you know, I think in this day and age, you know, it's definitely scary. I mean, we're so interdependent on each other. But I think it's also. And I'm really hopeful for this. I, I I know sometimes I come off a little cynical and snarky, and that's my New York Jew coming out and everything. But I am generally at heart, generally at heart, I am a true optimist. I believe in the good in people. I believe that um, when times get tough, we're, we're, that's when people shine, right? And I really hope that's what happens here, that we look out for you know our fellow neighbor, our family and friends, and, and we do the right thing. But we also have to be pragmatic that in times like this, sometimes shit gets real and things get a little bit crazy. And that's what I'm concerned about. Like, for example... The idea of being a have versus a have not, right? Being a prepper, right? Getting your, making sure that you have everything. For me, my wife's like, don't get crazy. Don't be crazy about it. But I have two small kids at home and I'd rather be the right. one that has everything that I need. I'm not talking about going out and buying all the toilet paper at Costco, <laughs> but but having enough to get by for a few weeks and knowing that I, you know, I have my family's best interests um, in mind. And I think that mentality that, um, I, what's, I don't know if there's probably a scientific name for that, that flight or fleet mentality um, gets people even crazier. Right. And it kind of goes for sure, man. I think I think that's why we like human beings for most of history have been at war, because it's like we take like rather than us fighting with each other, we have like one big enemy to fight against. And I had on um, this guy, on my podcast, uh, the guy who made Bulletproof, Dave Asprey, and tell awesome. me that there's literally a part of your brain that is designed to think and talk to other people about chaos and disaster because it's the best way that our brains know to spread information, especially when it comes to like some kind of plague or infection. That's super important to know. And so that's a totally natural side. But also I don't, you know, again, unless like we're talking like millions of people start dying, I don't think anything is going to happen with our food or our supplies yeah. or anything like that by any means. I mean, I was watching a, yeah. a vlog of someone in Wuhan, China, where it broke out, where like that entire city shut down. They had grocery stores stocked completely with food. And so for sure, yeah. if you have kids, that like extends your brain and you've got to be thinking about Absolutely. them. Absolutely. So you got to have both sides. both sides. Yeah, it's a papa bear mentality. And I mean, I don't want to digress too much of what's happening here, but my, you know, my fear, is, I mean, let's talk about it scientifically for a minute here and we're sure. not experts, but like, you know, <laughs> no. if you are, if you are, if you are rel in relatively good health, right. And listen, like you have a good immune system, like the, everything's saying that you'll be fine. If you do get it, like you might get sick, right. like it might cause some other things and you know, the rate isn't terrible. Um, no. And I'm not wishing that on anybody, but like, if we were in a flesh eating, instant dying, you know, kind of insane virus situation, we'd be in a much different conversation right now. And and I think that we we have to count our lucky stars and we have to know that we're going to come out of this. We're going to take a hit. You know, things are going to get crazy. They already are. Uh, but we're going to get through this. And I think everybody needs to understand that there are things that are out of their control and they need to just chill and go with the flow. And like this too shall pass. Like I firmly believe that as in everything in life, this too shall pass. For sure, definitely. And and like you know, like you said, I, I have the John Hopkins uh, website in front of me. Eighty thousand people have already recovered from getting corona, but also Italy's death rate just d doubled over the last day. So that's terrible. But yeah, um, but let's but let's just quickly caveat the Italy one. And I read this that Italy has Italy has the largest, uh, the oldest population in all of Europe. So we have to kind of measure yeah. the facts there as well. 
um, what truth is affecting more. So let's let's shift on from this. Uh, it is certainly the topic du jour. It is it is everywhere, but that's that's what's happening here. So I heard uh, somewhere. I don't know where I saw it, but I heard that you wrote a book. Nah, that was someone else, man. Different guest, man. Come on, you suck as the host, Nosh. <laughs> uh, I heard that you wrote a book, but but here but here's here's the question here. When was that first inkling, you know, when you're like, you know what, one day I really want to write a book? Was it back when you were a kid? Was it more recently? And I'm not talking about the actual like pen on paper, let's start this book. But when like, like when was like, hey, you know what, one day I want to write a book? Yeah. So maybe I got the idea like after I had been hosting my podcast for like a year. Um, and believe it or not, I was actually working on a totally different book. And I was actually working on this book called like Humans 2.0, which was going to be like a kind of Tim Ferriss, like Tools of Titan style of what I've learned from all my guests. Yep. And, um, you know, that's a massive project, but I was already working on it. And then maybe in about September of last year, um, I was in L.A. speaking and um, I just got like a crazy idea to write this book for people who, you know, once like me, who maybe consider themselves right. a little bit too introverted, a little bit too shy, maybe socially anxious, uh, super quiet, but they don't really want to be, and they want to be social, and they actually do like talking to people. And so I got that idea because, I mean, anytime someone hears my story but on a podcast or show or speaking or article or whatever, almost like that's always the number one question. It's like, oh, Mark, right. I'm an introvert. I'm super shy. How did you do this? And it's not exactly I can be like, hey, just follow this tip, follow that. It's a pretty serious no. issue that's pretty deep. And so right. I kind of no fit. Right. There's no one fit answer for everybody. There's different elements to it, of course. For sure. For sure. And like, I'm also, I'm in like the entrepreneurial self-improvement world. And I just didn't really see any book, any author, any kind of person um, directly kind of speaking to these people with the vehicle and the methodology that I found that works from a root cause to actually understanding the science behind it um, to kind of understanding it in a story format. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I, I think I wrote a book. It's been pretty interesting. <laughs> was 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 Screw Being Shy an instant title that came to your head right away? What are some of the other working titles that you had for the book? Oh. Uh, I think it was actually. I think it was the first title I came up with. But the, the subtitle is, um, it's uh, right now it's Learn How to Manage Social Anxiety and Be Yourself in Front of Anyone. I was going to try to name it something like for for shy people who don't want to be shy anymore. Something something along the lines of that. Or like but, the dummy's guide to not being shy. <laughs> you know what? You, you, I would you have been a little bit more original than that. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, no, I know. I, and it, I think it's super catchy and it definitely jumps off the shelf of you. So why, you know, there are other books out there. There are, we'll call them self-help books. There's guides out there to deal with social anxiety, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But what makes your book different than every other book that's on the shelves? Yeah, I mean, a couple of good books I recommend are um, uh, How to Be Yourself in Front of Anyone by Dr. Ellen Hendrickson and um, Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. Um, and then also, um, I forget, but uh, her name is Susan Kane. She talks a lot about introvertedness. And so honestly, man, I wrote this book because I'm not a scientist, not a psychologist, not a behavioral expert, but yet I have all this information from these people because I know them and I've talked to them and I reference their scientific studies. And so again, it's like the same thing of like, I saw all these people who, um, whether they learned about it in like a clinical session or whether they're just like addressing the software of what it means to have social anxiety 
while not really accounting for the hardware because it's not their expertise or whatever. And so like, there are so many kids out there. There are so many young adults. There are so many adults out there who struggle with this issue. And um, like, I don't know. I feel like my book is kind of super simple to read. It's super like, like I'm, I'm not an author, bro. Like, I don't, I don't know how to write an intelligent book. So I just kind of wrote the way that I write. Um, It's uh, I talk a little bit about my story. I talk about other people's stories that I've gone through this. Uh, I break down the science behind it, but not like too jargony, not super complicated. Right. Literally, you make it's it like the way that I talk. Right, you make it digestible. Super short. Yeah. So let's so let's talk about the process for a little bit. And and I really love to break down whether it be an artist, an entertainer, a DJ, any type of creator. Like, all right, so you got this idea for the book. Is the first step an outline? Is it a kind of hypothesis? Is it like a a treatment? Like, how does the process work? If you don't mind, let's pull back the curtain. Yeah. So what I do is whenever I get an idea, I instantly, usually instantly, I talk about it with people that I know I should be talking about it. Because when I do, not only necessarily am I just looking for their feedback, although for sure I am, but you know, when you have a conversation with someone, I really believe that is the that's the universe's way of helping you express your soul. Like I know for me, like I'm in a conversation I like and I say something, I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that, or whoa, I didn't connect those dots before. Yeah, like it's getting pulled. It's it's getting pulled. It's getting pulled from other places there, and it's meant to be said. I like it. That's exactly it. And the matter of the fact is, is if you are thinking about something by yourself, you only have one feedback loop, and that's your brain. But if you have someone else, that's a different feedback loop. And so, for sure, if you have terrible friends that shut down all your ideas, probably don't do that. But for me, I always talk about it because it gives my brain sort of that space to like kind of flesh out this idea, carve it a bit more, get it in front of people, see what they say, get more data, get more feedback. And then, yeah. And then I remember writing this book, man, literally on a flight home from LA to Boston, five hours, six hours. And um, at first I uh, didn't write an outline and I just sort of straight up wrote literally the first two chapters of the book. And then I had to go back and be like, wow, this is BS and crap. I have to completely rewrite this. And so, right. Like, Right, like when you I just want to interject for a minute too. When when like yeah. there's a big difference in your head, especially someone who's not an author like either of us. Well, up until a couple of days ago, now you're an <laughs> author. But like, like you think that your words in your head will translate directly to written writing, and you think that the way you talk will be readable. It's completely not, right? Like you try, like, and we see it in our LinkedIn posts sometimes, right? And we kind of <laughs> have to refine it. Like we have to kind of refine our writing because it, it goes from head to mouth to hands, and there's a lot lost in translation there. That's exactly it. And so, um, and so, yeah, I mean, there were so many times aside from that writing period where I would go back to what I wrote and I was like, wow, I didn't know I was a third grader. <laughs> I really <laughs> didn't know that I didn't, you know, write I terrible that word for the life of me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, I'll even, I'll even tell you a story. I've never said this on a podcast before, but, um, literally, uh, about a month before my book came out, the editor that I had hired, she gets back to me and she says, Hey, Mark, I don't know how to tell you this, but listen, the content of your book is very well done. Good job. You've done your research. You've structured it well. The writing, the sentence structure, the grammar of your book is literally so terrible. I cannot work <laughs> on this project and you, I have to leave. You have to fire me and you have to go find wow. out. Yeah. So um, a lot of hiccups that, uh, that happened with this book. But honestly, man, it's like writing a book, what I've learned is so hard. It's so hard for the exact reason you mentioned. And then it's also another fact of like, it's one thing to put out a LinkedIn post 
it's one thing to make a podcast and just kind of put out these podcast episodes. It's an entirely different thing to take this idea package. It's, it's not only a different process, but it's a different way because you're taking this idea. You're now packaging it up into a complete idea that should hold weight out there into the world that should be credible. And now you've kind of put this out there and you have no idea who's reading it. And so it's super important. Let's talk about that in the process too. Let's talk about gut checks, right? Like during your process, did you like finish it? Like who was your sounding board as you're going through to say, am I on the right track? Is it readable? People like who you trust to give you real radical candor, right? The people that you're going to say, hey, Mark, this is fucking, pardon my French LinkedIn, this is effing right. awesome or, or this is, hey, you know what? Like it's not, it's not landing. It's not sticking. It's not resonating. You're talking over people. You're talking to people or whatever that feedback was. How did that process go about? And who were those people? Yeah, yeah I mean, it happened every day. It happened with my editor, my second editor, um, my sister, who's, uh, who's an English professor, um, and then also just all my other smart author friends that I know that I've made friends with via the podcast. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I, I mean, yeah, I think, I think when you're making, doing anything creative, you have to almost separate what's personal to you versus the actual work. And so there were many times where I feel like I was hurt because someone said this part sucked or this, whatever. And so like, that's, that's a big, big part of it. And especially when you put it out there in the world, and then people just, you know, shit on you or, or someone doesn't believe that mental health is real and like this is a hoax and all this stuff. And so, I mean, it definitely ranges. But uh, but yeah, ultimately, it's it's a very brutal process. It's like kind of running a marathon. And so I'm definitely going to write a book again, but I'm kind of going to spend these next two weeks kind of figuring out my game plan for plan B for the rest of this year. And then I'm going to work on the second edition. Yeah, go ahead. You know, it's, you know, it's interesting. And I, I think I've talked to you about this before. Uh, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan for, you know, 25 plus years. Yeah, you have. I followed his, I followed his journey, you know, from the Howard that people are not fans think he is right. That, you know, sex, porn stars, midgets, all that kind of stuff to the Howard he is now, which <laughs> when he made that transition, right, that that transition to, to satellite radio where he had an open format and it he changed as an interviewer, as, a, as his, the whole Howard changed hmm. and he became, you know, one, one of the best interviewers in the world, in my opinion. And what he did with this new book, Howard Stern Comes Again, you know, he took all those and he basically ranked all of his favorite interviews and not just ranked them, um, you know, he went through each one of those interviews and broke down his thought process, the guests during that time, you know, the key takeaways from that show. And it's incredible, man. I got about halfway through the book. Um, I highly recommend that at the very least, next time you're in the bookstore, kind of just scan through it and see his approach. Cause I think there might be, no, no, I'm serious. Cause I think there might be like some sparks of inspiration oh, yeah. about how, about how you may, may want to go back and address humans 2.0, because in my opinion, you are one of the, the best curators out there of incredible people. Um, and that's what you're doing your show. Like me, your show is your canvas, right? And your canvas is your art to everybody else. This is the Mark Metric canvas, your podcast, and all these guests that you have on in your paint and you make them shine and you bring them to life. And that's what's incredible. So how do you take all that and how do you give it legs, man? How do you make it shine even more? And I think there's such a huge opportunity. You have all this content, all these hours and hours of shows. How do you distill that into digestible tidbits? I'm not saying that like, you're the next Ray Dalio principles here, right? Like take those quotes out of it. Maybe. But I think there's right, but there's so much opportunity for you, man, for the second book. I see it. I see it. I, it's there. For sure. For sure, man. And by the way, I was, I wasn't laughing about uh, getting advice. I was laughing about going to a bookstore <laughs> because of Who the times that? I learned. 
Yeah, seriously. Well, um, right, let's call it a virtual. Let's, right, of, you're going to go to a virtual bookstore and you're going to PDF swipe it, right? <laughs> definitely, man. But yeah, I mean, no for sure, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely there. And quite frankly, I would already be working on um, my second book, but I kind of want to get space. I want to get perspective after I've written this one and work on a second edition of this book. Because as I, again, as I put this out there in the world more, People are giving me feedback. I'm getting ideas of what to add, what to remove. And so it's always going to be a constant uh, ongoing thing. Of course. But for sure, after that, um, I'm going to take a slight vacation. And then I'm probably going to start writing my second book because this is the thing. I mean, as much as it sucked writing this book, again, I could be wrong. I'm pretty early in my career, but I know I'm going to be a writer. 100% hands down. Uh, There's so many books I in there. What what sucked about this process? Let's talk about that. Because the suck is what makes you stronger, man. We talk about it all the time, bro. It's our calluses, right? And and like even in today's day and age, like what's happening right now, those calluses that we have built mentally, our mental calluses are what's going to get us through the storm. And I like your analogy about a blizzard. It's a really long blizzard, man. It's about a three or four week blizzard. The kids are off from school. The stores are closed. Maybe longer. Up. You know what? Put that fireplace on. You know what? Actually, if it's nice out, like I did when I went shopping at Costco, side note, I bought tons of burgers. If I could barbecue every single uh, day, man. But let's get back to that, right? What 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 was yeah. what was the part of the process that really was not fun for you? Yeah, I mean, on I mean, again, like it's it's one of those things. It's like running a marathon. So it's like, yeah, you get a runner's high, and yeah, training and exercising is fun, but it also sucks to be running for yeah. miles on miles on miles. No so yeah, it's kind of like one of those bitter bitter things. And 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 you know, because of the fact that I've on what you just said, I because of the fact that I've kind of weathered through um previous storms in my life, like you know, my personal for me, like again, I know I'm gonna have a lot of other problems in my life because that's the way that life moves, but I think the fact that I struggled with um, you know, my own demons with like things like suicide and whatnot. And just living my life, I mean, I don't really think that I could go down more. I think there would be new problems for sure. But after you go through that, it's like, I sort of know that whatever happens on the outside, it'll be good as long as I got this together. Do, do, do you feel that, and, and I, I don't want to interject my thoughts here, but yeah, do you feel sure. that you need to hit, do you, that people, I don't want this to come out the wrong way. Do you feel that people need to hit rock bottom so they actually know what that bottom is and, and that journey to climb back out so they know to do whatever they can to not get back to that point? For some people, yes, but I don't necessarily think it's necessary in the sense of I think when you uh, meditate daily, I think that simulates rock bottom every day. And what I mean is I think there are two paths that you could potentially go on. You could go on the path of like consistent growth. This is usually what happens if you have like the right good parents where like they teach you the right values. Yeah, of course, you're going to run into problems and whatnot, but they're there to guide you. They, they sort of teach you to have a sense of your intuition. They teach you self-awareness and uh, you know you just incrementally grow. And for sure, you might have problems, but they're not going to hit you that hard. Whereas I feel like for someone for me, um, you go through life and you face issues and you don't exactly process them. You don't exactly realize that you have these problems until like 10 years later you grow up and they sort of all come crashing down. And so I think for some people, you need that moment of rock bottom. You almost going back to the beginning of this conversation, you need to hit zero to build that foundation in the first place if you've never had it. And so I think that's one. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to say something? No, I'm agreeing with okay. you. Man. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's part of it. And so whatever that looks like for someone, that's a big part. And that's why like someone like me, um, 
I meditate every day because when you hit rock bottom, you actually get in the present moment because you're constantly distracted both from the outside and also the inside of always being pulled to your past or always being pulled to your future, which is actually an illusion that can create depression and anxiety. And so what happens is when you're, you know, you face a traumatic event and you're in that moment of your life and you hit rock bottom, you snap into the present and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, wait, this is what my life has been. And then when you're in the present, then that's when you can actually gain clarity of your life and change your behaviors. So if you're, if you're meditating and you're always getting the present moment every day or whatever way that is for you, you're constantly, constantly simulating that. And I know for me, like the reason why I do all the things that I do of all the, all of my LinkedIn posts, all the stuff that I talk about, I think it's because I never want to hit rock bottom again. I know how terrible it is. I know how bad it is. I've had people on my podcast who have had it worse. Like I've had people on my podcast that have told me like, hey, dude, I had $750 million in my bank account, but I was going to kill myself. It's like, all right, man, like, that's the real, that's the real problem. Yeah, yeah, I know. Sure. I mean, I mean, you also have, you also have to put everything in perspective, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. So, you have been on a, a pretty solid, uh, rampant press junket and talking deep about social anxiety. So, I want to talk about this just for a little bit here. How do you define social anxiety? Great question, bro. So, there's a big difference between being like an introvert and then having social anxiety. If you actually look at the definition, an introvert is dot defined as someone predominantly. Um, the way that their brain works is they have a tendency to focus their attention and energy on their internal world, thoughts, emotions, feelings, themes, um, their own dome. Whereas extroverted people are the opposite. That's just a character trait. You, I don't really think you can change that about yourself. That's just okay. the way people's brains are structured. People are wired. They're hardwired. Exactly. And so, you know, there is some degree of control you can have for that. But the reason why this is such an issue is because a lot of people that are shy, that are overly shy, that are extremely shy, put themselves, whether it's they put themselves in that bucket or someone else told them, oh, you're just a, a quiet uh, introvert, then they can actually have issues. And what I mean is this, it's also totally normal and totally healthy to be shy every once in a while. You know, you show That's up fair. to an environment. Yeah, totally normal, totally okay. You're out of your comfort zone. Okay. You're out of your comfort zone. You know, you're shy for like the first 30 minutes you walk into an event where you don't know anybody. That's totally normal. But there are people, usually this happens early on, but it can also happen to adults where um, some sort of an event will happen in their lives, whether it's they, they, they change schools, they get bullied all of a sudden, they have a toxic boss where all of a sudden they are now shy in every single moment, every environment they walk into their brain is now traumatized. Their brain was traumatized and now they're going to default to that. Yeah. And that's the root cause. And everyone has a different way of that. It doesn't have to be with social anxiety. It could be with the varying issues that life has to do with. And then what happens is if someone isn't able to grow through that and process that, that consistent shyness will then become social anxiety where every room they walk into their mind starts to get socially anxious. It starts to tell them thoughts. And in turn, that gets their body anxious. They start sweating in their armpits, their palms start sweating, their forehead, um, their throat tightens up, it clenches up, their mind starts to go blank, it starts to overthink. And then what happens is someone who is socially anxious, they will walk into a room, they'll walk into an environment where they may not even be shy, they may not even be socially anxious at that moment, but because their brain and body 
has formed this repeated feedback loop, when they walk into a room, their body will start to show the signs of anxiety, like sweating, your throat will start to clench, even if you're not actually anxious, which then your mind will look at it and be like, oh crap, I'm socially anxious. And essentially what happens is this creates this feedback loop where someone is literally unable to talk to people and unable to get out of social anxiety, where it's a real nervous system, uh, fight or flight uh, response. Um, so that's what, that's what it is, man, if that makes sense. Wait, hold up, Adam. I, for some reason, I can't hear you. Because I'm muted. That's why you can't hear me. There, now yeah. I'm off the mute there we go. Hear me fine. I Let's now. talk about I, I do that when I cough or drink water because I don't think even you cannot catch coronavirus digitally. Let's just make a public service announcement <laughs> there. Um, but let's talk about your your triggers for a moment, too. I mean, I want to actually double back like your journey, your story is what defines you. Each of us have a story. We can't change it. That's our, our book. Those are chapters in the past, and we have to move forward on that. Um, but your journey with social anxiety, um, what were some of your triggers? For sure. And for sure, I definitely don't think that you can go back to your past and change your life, but you can definitely change your story for sure. And so what I'm, so for me personally, um, I was always an introverted kid, but not shy. I had like a tight circle of friends, uh, for sure. Quiet. I kind of enjoyed my solitary. I kind of enjoyed being in here, uh, but not shy or anxious. And for me, when I moved from second to third grade outside of the city, and into super small town, 5,000 people. Um, really interesting part about this town was um, there was no racial diversity whatsoever. And so nobody looked like me. And so basically, I was the only person at my school who physically looked different. And so that was also the time of like post 9-11. And so yeah. because of the fact that I was Egyptian and Middle Eastern, yeah. man, I got I got destroyed. Yeah, I endured some pretty severe racism, uh, bullying, all that kind of stuff. It's so, brutal. Kids are absolutely brutal. It, for sure. But also the the point on that is like, I, I think a month ago or a month and a half ago, I got a Facebook message from someone who was super racist and who bullied me all the time in like middle school. And he sent me a message and he says, dude, I can't believe all the things you're doing now. It's so awesome to see. And he told me that his dad was an alcoholic and he'd beat the crap out of him every day. And so with that same anger and rage, he also dealt that out with someone, but just a different person. And so, you know, if these issues are not solved, they're, 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 they're transmuted to the next person. Yeah. So that was kind of me. And then, and then the really interesting part that happened too, was like, also at that same time, I began to develop some physical health issues. So things that quite frankly, I see a lot of kids today in America developing like, uh, asthma, issues with their stomach, gut, appendix, uh, skin, yeah. uh, behavioral disorders, attentional disorders, sleep, uh, bladder issues, a lot of these things. And so I was, um, you know, I would be in the doctor's offices all the time. I would get some kind of a medicine to take. And I was just told like, hey, bro, this is just the way that you are. And then years later, you find out a lot of those medicines, their side effects are, um, you know, lack of sleep, um, uh, has potential mental health side effects, um, has exactly. And so, you know, it lacks your energy. And so I kind of felt like growing up, I was just placed in this bubble for a solid decade of my life, man. And I kind of realized this until I was 18 and where, um, I mean, this issue blew out even more. Um, and, um, and I just began to tackle this issue, man. And, and here we are today book after what, 
What do you want somebody to take away after reading your book? What's that one key takeaway? Or is it different from every for everybody? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, honestly, my book is specifically targeted towards people who, of course, are shy and don't want to be shy, who have social anxiety. But quite frankly, man, um, in a broad note, this book is any for anyone who wants to just up their mental health game that's just based on legitimate practical science. That, you know, I'm not I'm not talking about <laughs> I'm not talking about like what I've anecdotally done in stories, although I do mention that, but I also talk about like, hey, this is what the research says. This is what they say actually works. This is what they say what doesn't actually work. And so I want people to realize that if they are facing um, a mental health problem in general, there is a very much verified, documented, science-based approach on how an individual can slowly begin to take action on these things in their own personal life to get out of this issue and to heal. Because a big part of the narrative in terms of mental health in this country is it's either um, if you're really at rock bottom, you call the suicide hotline or you know you go to a doctor, you go to a therapist. And right. I think all those solutions are fine. But for people who have social anxiety, who already have like literally a mental health condition to not talk to people, they're probably not going to be calling people. They're probably not going to be asking for help. And so I kind of made this book to be like, hey, here you go. Read this. It's pretty short. If you actually want to change your own life and uh, figure out a way to get motivated into your root cause and actually deal with this stuff, go for it. And then maybe then you can get a therapist if you have struggled with that. And so I'm kind of tackling a, a, a range of issues here with my book, but that's because man, like I almost fell in this trap. I almost killed myself. And when I looked at the data, social anxiety is extremely correlated to substance abuse and social isolation, both of which are correlated to suicide. And so that kills 850,000 people a year. And so it's like, you know, that's a problem I'm trying to tackle too. And I just saw like a big sort of conversation, a piece of the conversation that was missing that I fell down that I know this exists out there in America and in many other parts of the world. Listen, man, at the very least, I mean, at the very least, if this does, if this book doesn't do anything but bring awareness to the, to this issue, you've, you've accomplished so much. Right. And if you could help one person, it sounds so cliche. Exactly. Right? If you I agree. One, if you could help, if you could help one person, right? Like one person truly, then it's all worth it. Right, then it's all worth it. If that one person, hopefully it's more than one, which I think you will because of your, your reach and your voice and your platform that you have. Um, let's talk a little bit because uh, I want to like round out the book here and then I want to do something a little bit fun and, and switch it up and bring some levity here. But you talk a lot about communicating your authentic self in relation to mm -hmm. mental health and wellness. Let's unpack yeah. that a little bit. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, this is exactly what it means. Okay. So from an early age in our lives, um, we are very rarely often taught what the truth is. And there's a section in my book called truth is the chiropractor of the mind. And so the same way that like um, our skeletal systems, our bones, they're the things that hold up our body and give our body structure. That's what truth does, but to reality and to life itself and how we perceive it and how we view it. And so I had no idea about this, but this is it. So when I had social anxiety and people who have social anxiety, usually they have very low self-esteems. They have no self-confidence. They think everyone hates them. They think people don't think highly of them. And so when you're in a social interaction, oftentimes you actually distort your authentic self. You actually lie to other people 
because you want them to think highly of you because you don't view anything of yourself because you have such a low self-worth. And so what I realized, this is the way that it works. So usually this happens early on as a kid, like most things, but, um, you know, let's say very simple example. Um, you know, let's say you're a kid and you have a rule in your house. That's like, Hey, you can't eat cookies before dinner time. Okay. And so, you know, this rule, but you being a kid, that's probably addicted to sugar, which is a whole other topic. You climb on top of the fridge and, um, you get a cookie from the cookie jar and you're eating it. You're, you're chowing it down. Your mom comes downstairs and I mean, she probably knows you ate a cookie because moms have like superpowers. And so your mom knows you ate that cookie, but you're like, hey, I love my mom. I don't want her to think less of me. And so I'm going to lie to her and be like, no, mom, I didn't eat the cookie. And so what happens is in that moment, you essentially took the real you, the real authentic you, the true version of reality, and you put that to the back. You just threw that to the back of your mind. And what you did is you literally just created an artificial version of yourself that is not based in the truth, that is not held up by the truth. And you just put that to the front of your reality. And on top of that, what you're also teaching your brain is my mom's opinion of me is worth more than my opinion of myself. And so that's one side of it. And then when it comes to lying to yourself, not to other people, this is the way it plays out. Okay. So let's say you're in a classroom, you're a kid, you're in high school. Your teacher's like, Hey, does anyone know what year world war one started? Uh, and then you think back, you're like, Oh yeah, I saw this. Uh, I saw this documentary last night and where it said world war one started in 1914. And then what happens is because you have social anxiety and even if you don't, and you have uncertainty and you doubt yourself, the other part of your brain will come in and be like, eh, are you sure about that? Are you actually sure you watched a documentary? Cause you were probably knocked out or you were scrolling on Instagram or Hey, Hey, you, you actually remember you're, you're a stupid person. Your memory sucks. You don't know what you're talking think about. think you did. Yep. Exactly. And so what happens then in there is like, you just lie to yourself. And so you're like, Hey, I'm not going to raise my hand because I don't know the answer. And then Billy next to you raises his hand. He's like, Hey, 1914. And then in your mind, you're like, damn gone. it. And I so, knew that. Exactly. And so in that Maybe scenario, both of those things happen. You took the real you and you put it to the back. You do this so many times in your life. And every time you do this, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier to do. Next thing you know, five years have passed, 10 years have passed mm. by, and you're not even living your own life. And what happens is when you're not living your own life because you haven't been using truth as a structure, you have no idea who you actually are. And when you have no idea who you actually are, you disassociate your, yourself from your life. And so that's why you have people that's saying, oh, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated. And so aside from like biochemical reasons, I think that's probably the number one thing. People are not motivated to actually live their lives because they're not actually living their lives. And they're, they're not so being their true selves. From that. Yeah, they're not being their true selves. It's easier said than done, right? Like it's easier said than done to live your so your true authentic self. There's so many other factors there. I mean, it's deep, man. I mean, we could spend hours on that and speculate, but we'll we'll leave it to the pros here. So let's let's wrap up the book part <laughs> of the podcast live here. Where can folks find it? And I know the answer, but where can they find it? Yeah. So if you go on Amazon, which is probably going to employ all of us by the end of this, if the economy crashes, um, go on Amazon and search either my name, Mark Metry, or search screw being shy. Um, 
if you're interested in this, grab a copy, tell your friends, you have any kids, anyone who's super shy, send them a copy of this too. And um, yeah, bro, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, we're not, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Um, what, what, what are you, what, what are you doing? Um, I think, I, I think I saw you mention you're donating a percentage of book sales to um, what charity is that? Um, so on the or physical cost. copy, yeah, physical copy, 15% of the profit profits will be donated to the American foundation for suicide prevention automatically. And Kudos, that to me man. is like, again, it's like I've donated more money to them from the book sales that I've gone so far, but it's just like, I mean, I think I quite frankly, I think like for me being a business owner and everything I do, you have to find some kind of a way to like, whether it's explicitly or implicitly help other people that have helped you. And so, um, pay forward, man. so, yeah, it's so important. So I think any kind of project that any, any entrepreneur listening should do, take a percentage of that and just automatically put it forward. If you can afford to do that. No, that's fantastic. It could, it could have said, so everyone find awesome. the book there. Uh, you want to play a little game quickly? Let's do it. So let's, let's have a fun game here. So this is a game and it's funny cause it's called pod decks and you know how oh I my feel God, about it. Dude, I get Instagram ads about this. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened, man. I, I am one of my weaknesses. If I was on a job interview is I am a sucker for Instagram ads. I almost bought a survival <laughs> shovel today. I saw this shovel today on Instagram ads. You probably know the one I'm talking about. I saw this shovel that literally looks like if I was in an avalanche, I was in trees falling down. I needed to start a fire. I was stuck in the woods. I needed to fight off you know, an army of bears or ninjas or whatever it was. If I was in the zombie apocalypse, this shovel would save the day. And I didn't buy the shovel. I was really close. It had, it was really cool, man. But I saw this thing called pod decks and I, you know how I feel about pods, but we'll call this pod decks here. So basically this is kind of fun. So it's 52 cards in a deck, right? And each of them have random interview questions. And it's just a lot of fun as this, like you and I have no problem with guests. We are prepared. We know how to interview people. So this, I guess, is for people who have no clue what to do in a podcast interview. So it's fitting that Mark and I use it right now. So for the sake of television, here's the way we're going to do it here. I'm going to hold up. um, Let's try to do this here. Um, This is my left hand, my right over here. Uh, Pick a card. There's one, two... Three, four, five three. cards here. Pick a three. Three. We're going to go through here. Oh, oh got this is middle. All right. Here we go. So if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? <sighs> oh, this is a good one for you. You're like, uh, you know, you're an impossible Metri burger guy. No, 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 no. I'm actually We don't need not, that stuff. I, I'm totally against that stuff. That's a, for a whole other podcast. Um, for, I hear that it, stuff's not good, by the way. We'll talk about that. It's not good for you. Um, I'd rather eat uh, real good organic grass-fed meat. That's exactly it. So, yeah, I mean, health, is this health reasons including or aside? No, whatever the hell you want, man. This is okay, whatever, whatever the hell a pandemic, want, man. Everything goes out the window. In a pandemic, you can eat whatever you want, man. <laughs> Drink whatever you want. Dude, I'll be eating grass-fed tomahawk steaks all day, bro. <laughs> Dry aged. <laughs> Ooh, I love – now, let me ask you a kind of a little bit of a curveball here. Are you a lamb guy? I love lamb, dude. It's actually uh, – I actually got my gut microbiome analyzed and it actually told me because I'm from the Middle East, that's actually one, like a superfood for me. It's like one of the most digestible things for my body. I would choose, and this is just me personally, a perfect New Zealand lamb chop, a perfect, perfectly cooked New Zealand lamb chop over the best steak in the world. Honestly, I, man. And I love steak. I'm not going to debate you. Steak. I, I'm I not going to debate you. I agree with that, bro. I think I think both. That's, that would have been my number two. <laughs> I, call, I, call, I call lamb chops God's, God's lollipops for me. That's, 
<laughs> so let's 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 choose it. Let's choose. Uh, we'll do two more here quickly. Okay, let's do it, dude. This is so fun. <laughs> I told you, let's have some fun here. This is one. Oh, I gotta choose. Uh, let's do all the way on the left. I'll get yeah, to the left here. Yeah. In the month. Ooh. Serious question. Do you count your steps? Um, I, I mean, I check them on my phone. Depends on the day. Like I know, um, I try my best to hit, to hit, uh, 7,500 for the day. And so I'm pretty aware of that. And I know if I don't, then I'll go back and I'll probably check it at least once a day. Yeah. I like to do it as a novelty. For example, when I was in Iceland in November and we literally climbed a, gl a glacier and we like hiked for miles and miles, I wanted to just see what that number was. And it was absolutely astronomical. I think it was close to 20,000. It was something absolutely, you know, off the charts, but otherwise I really don't try to count here. All right. We're going to pick one more to wrap this show up for today. Cool. Oh, there's a lot of them here. So I'm going to try to touch the screen on this one. All right. Let's see if we could Let's see if we could put some hand sanitizer on. Hold on. <laughs> All right, hold up. Um, I'm gonna go for uh, the my right, that one right there. This one, the yeah, that one. Ooh. Do you have any superstitions? Uh, and there's a difference between just for the crowd out there. There's a difference between OCD, neurotics, and superstitions. I mean, dude, listen, man. I mean. Everything I've gone through, all of like, like I've I've been through a I've been through a couple of mystical experiences. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, and so after that, I'm like, I literally think anything is possible. Like honestly, like, and even with this pandemic, I'm like, if a UFO just came down right now, I'd be like, Yo, what's up, guys? Want to do a podcast episode? Like, I, I think <laughs> anything is possible, man. So I don't even. I think I'm oh, too man. open to even have a superstition in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because so so my wife is is Russian. She was born there. And the Russian, the Russian, like that, that Eastern Bloc superstitions are absolutely insane. Um, everything from there's a few I don't, I, I kind of agree with. Like you can't shake hands through an open doorway. Have you heard that one? No. There's something about that you can't shake hands through an open doorway. You can't step over somebody. Like if someone's sitting on the floor, you can't step over them. And if you do, you got to step backwards. That makes sense. And the one that I really like is the drinking one. When you're drinking with friends, for those who drink. The bottle has to start and and you can't like I can't pour shots and then hand it to you and you pour shots. I have to continue pouring drinks for the duration of that drinking session. So I've incorporated these. It, yeah, I've I've incorporated these into my life. And some of them kind of make sense and some of them don't. The other weird one too is when you're drinking, if you're pouring in in in, in the, the Russian world that we live in, uh, in my household, um, the shot glass or the glass has to stay on the table. You can't hold it up and hand it to them. And the thought is that it has to be grounded. I, hmm. I don't know, man. They, they have if crazy... you're drunk, you're probably going to shake things around and probably hand things off. So uh, I'm sure there might be some practicality to that as well. So let, let's let's do a little prediction here. Being okay. your optimistic self, I we are never going to go back to the normal as we knew it. The same thing with 9-11. It's a new normal. It's a new day and age. But when realistically do you think the smoke is going to clear and we'll get back to, to work and school and everything? Three months. I have no idea if like that's when schools will open or anything, but I feel like the back, the world will be back to, to again, like you said, like a, a new level of normal, which I'm glad it is because this is actually going to happen. Like I saw a Bill Gates Ted talk and he was like, this is actually going to happen all the time. <laughs> yeah. He said um, that in 2015. Yeah. And so, um, and so I would say uh, three months is a good estimate, but I mean, listen, 
I, I hope it doesn't last that long, but I mean, dude, it could last until six months. And I think if it does last past six months, I think th- this is a completely different conversation that we need to have about the state of the world yeah. and what, what this is going to do. Yeah. It's really scary. I mean, I'm, I'm really hoping, I'm, I'm hoping that this gets under control within the next two months. I really think that within the next six to eight weeks, I, I think that unfortunately we haven't hit peak uh, numbers no. here in the U.S. And I think that's because of lack of detection and a lot of the uh, symptoms have been mass and a lot of us could be carriers and we don't even know it. Um, but I also like put in perspective too, like this is thankfully not a deadly disease. And like the the, the more time that goes by, I know all the positive news, like the the the, uh, the research that's being done and the the vaccines and yeah. the, the antibodies, like we will okay. get there. And, and, and the technology that we have, like let's talk about silver linings here, right? The technology and the advanced medical science world that we live in is accelerating this hopefully at a such incredibly more rapid speed than ever before that we'll be able to crush this quickly we got to think positive dude absolutely man and 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 by the way my number for three months it comes from um damn and i forget the name of him i should definitely name him but he he works at uh, the cdc and he says that pandemics last for three months they hit peak 1.5 months in and so who knows this will be shorter or longer that's my estimate and then honestly um, you know, I think, I think there is a whole, like when you look at human existence, um, the whole conversation around bacteria and viruses, mm-hmm. I mean, this war has been happening for thousands of years, like oh, inside yeah. of our bodies, inside of our bodies, Oh my God! between our stomachs, intestines, we have this thing called the gut microbiome, which is literally trillions of bacteria that has more DNA than our own human DNA inside <laughs> of it. That when Crazy. we put a food in our mouth they process it first and then hand it off to our body. And so that gut microbiome is extremely linked. The, the malfunction of that is linked to so many chronic illnesses, is linked to mental health issues. And so whether it starts from the outside, inside, and this has just been discovered over like the last 10, 15 years, I'm so glad that this is going to make sure that we go deep into bacteria because I think they are really the ones that run reality. They're the, really the ones that came here before us. They're the ones that are a big part of, of, of all of our biological functions and our ecosystems in the world. And so, yeah, after this, I'm pretty excited for, in a good way, for what's going to happen because of that technology. Yeah. Because that, And, dude, just imagine what we're going to be able to do with that after. You know, so you got, you got, it, you got to steps ahead. and we're going to get through this. I promise you, like people like, listen, there's going to be a lot of tragedy. There's going to be a lot of heartache and a lot of hurt, yeah. a lot of pain. A lot of businesses are going to go under people's lives oh, yeah. are going to be affected. I mean, I mean, I know my life right now is definitely being affected on the professional front and it's scary, um, but we will get through this. And, you know, you have to remember to stay true to your core values, know who you are as a human, you know, do the right thing. Look out for your fellow man. Just be patient, right? Like everyone's, that's the thing we talked about at the beginning of this episode. Everything's canceled. Everyone's in this yeah. together. No one is better off than anybody else right now. We are all in the same ship boat. We are all in this together. We're all on the same playing field, right? There may be some people who are really well off that might be on their island and everything, but guess what? They have nothing <laughs> to come back to. They have nothing to come back to and everyone is in the same place. And I think once you kind of wrap your head around that and take that part element out of the equation and focus on, taking care of your family, don't be greedy, be a good civilian, be a good neighbor, be a good citizen, and we'll get through this together, man. Absolutely, man. And, and you know, one thing to conclude on this is um, a few hours ago, I just came back from a mastermind and we were kind of talking about the state of the world. And we were talking about how, like literally, if you're, for the most part, if you're a kid 
if you work at some corporation and you're working from home or you're not even at work or you're not working in general, or you're not at school, because a lot of people on a day-to-day basis hate what they do, they're going to use this time right now as a vacation. And for sure, like you need to rest, you need to do all those things for sure. But right now, like five years from now, you're going to look back at this and be like, oh my God, these two weeks, the, the this month, the two last two months, these were literally mine for me to develop and work on myself and for me to learn more about how do I decrease my stress? How do I learn about money? How do I learn about my health? And so quite frankly, for me too, I'm doing that. I'm using this time to sort of like retreat and almost like hibernate in a way and come out of this season, this winter, one month, two months, way stronger, way better, way more willing to serve other people. And then honestly, man, like, you know, you and I are, are like a lot on this online stuff, me more than you, just because of my age and the world that I've grown up in. This is going to shift the world aside from like a scientific um, and health perspective. This is going to shift the world massively into like, oh my God, we need to be relying on the internet way more. And because of that, we may actually develop better technology that can actually make human to human virtual interaction way better. And so there are yep. so many things that can come from this, but ultimately it's like these next two weeks, these next months, two months, three months, these are literally yours. All these things that you, you know, you said, I can't do during I the day, but I don't have time literally right now. Like this, like, yeah. I think this is a big awakening for a lot of people around the world. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and I think I'm going to take some solace in that too, and, and think about how I want to further develop, you know, myself professionally, personally, um, and spend some quality time with my family too. You don't get that all the time. And like, we're all going to take a hit. We are all going to mm-hmm. take a hit financially. We got to stick this together. Mark Metry, I, I am proud of you, man. I'm proud to call you, you know, uh, a friend here. And I, I, I can't wait to look back on this recording in 10 years and show my kids when I'm like, like dad, you, inter- you knew Mark Metry, you interviewed Mark Metry on your show. And, and that's, that's all part of the legacy, man. Right? Like that's what During we're the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Looking back on that. Do you remember in chapter seven of Mark's, you know, seminal book, you know, what the hell I did during the coronavirus part one, uh, chapter three with Adam. Uh, everybody who's watching, I know the numbers have kind of been skewed, screwed up here. I've been following along here. It's really strange. It's kind of low for, for uh, a show, but it's we'll get back there. I'm going to put this out live. I'm going to put out the recording to everybody. I'll send you the link as well. Um, hey, everybody watching, I appreciate you tuning in, taking the time to hang out with Mark and I today. Um, I know your time is valuable. Hopefully you got some insights, some laughs, and, and shared some time with us. And Mark and I appreciate it. Um, I'm doing a couple of special quick plug here. Tomorrow, I got Sean Hervey on. We're going to talk about recruiters, how we are managing in this day and age of the pandemic, um, on the ground boots, what it means in recruiting and talent acquisition. And then Thursday, I have one of the leaders in HR and talent acquisition worldwide. Hung Lee is going to be joining me on the podcast, and we're really going to talk about the global impact uh, on talent, recruiting, HR, and the workforce. So join us next time and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.